How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. It is another edition of Phillies Today. I'm your host, James Seltzer. It is Friday, October the 2nd, and it is indeed, in fact, the final edition of Phillies today for 2020. Uh, we'll, of course, be back next year, next season. Um, but this will be it for the 2020 year. And what a year it was. I mean, geez, Louise, what a year of Phillies today. Obviously, what a year, period. But um, it's, been, uh, it's been a weird one. It's been a wild one. Obviously, we know the season itself for the Phillies, so disappointing, obviously, as we've talked about nonstop. And you know, there's a lot to of hope that we can have heading into 2021 that JT Romito's resigned, that the Phillies have a, a better bullpen, that there are changes throughout the organization and all that. Um, but looking back at 2020, and we'll look ahead before we get out of here, but um, I think first and foremost, obviously a, as disappointing a season as it was, particularly the way it finished out, the idea of, you know, all it took uh, was winning two out of their last eight, and they were only able to win one out of their last eight. You know, it was a very disappointing end to the season, especially considering the last few years of September collapses we've been privy to. We certainly didn't need another of those. But um, outside of just our own, you know, disappointment with the team and with the way the play the, the season played out, I do – feel incredibly lucky that we got to have baseball at all this season. Uh, you know, speaking of Phillies today and this year of Phillies today, you know, we did like four and a half months of shows uh, without baseball. Um, you know, we did what three weeks of Mount Rushmore's, you know, going through and doing the Mount Rushmore of every position. And you can go back and listen to any of those shows uh, in the podcast feed, obviously, if you missed those, but um you know, we we talked way too much about labor disputes and about the owners versus the players and all that stuff. It seems like such a distant memory at this point, but it was um, it was a tumultuous 
time, obviously, for so many reasons, just, you know, going through the pandemic as a country, we obviously, you know, in the world, obviously, but as a country, we were struggling with that, going through that, having no sports, all that stuff. And then um, for baseball to finally come back, and even if it didn't play out the way we wanted it to, I still feel really lucky and, and really appreciative that we got to watch the Phillies play at all this year, even though it didn't go the way we wanted it to go. It was still really nice that that it was able to happen. And obviously a few scares along the way. We all remember the Marlins and the Phillies missing a week of baseball. The Cardinals missed like close to three weeks of baseball. Um, so, you know, obviously there were, it was up and down from, from that perspective, but ultimately we did get through the regular season. Obviously the playoffs going on now, unfortunately, as we've discussed, the Phillies not a part of it. That would be nice. But ultimately, a um, I'm appreciative that we had a baseball season to begin with, and that that we were actually able to enjoy watching the sport. And it, look, it was a weird year, and we knew it going in, and and all the weirdness we talked about uh, bore out, right? I mean, watching baseball with no fans in the stands, and that was something that you know you get used to. And I, I said on this show earlier in the year once you know, in the early goings that, that personally, at least I was again, kind of echoing what I was just talking about, but I was just grateful to have baseball back. And I was going to enjoy the weirdness of it and not look at no fans in the stands as the, the bummer that it was, but instead look at it as a unique experience to get to watch baseball in this new, weird, different way. Uh, I will say that, you know, in hindsight, Fans definitely make it better. <laughs> you know, I don't think there's any way around that. Uh, certainly, um, I think you feel it even more in the playoffs now. Watching playoff baseball without fans has been uh, different. It's definitely sucked some of the fun and the energy out of it. So that has certainly been noticeable. Um, but in, on the whole, just, you know, a strange year. Uh, <laughs> the Marlins made the playoffs. That's strange enough as it is, right? Um, but... You know, also, I, the funny thing, too, and, and you know, there were a few structural changes to the game this season, and it turned out that the, the two that I hated the most I ended up liking a lot better than one that I was all in favor of. The two things that, you know, changing the game, that, that the kind of biggest structural changes um, outside of, like, the three-batter minimum, which, which I was fine with and all that, but... Um, Obviously, I think the two biggest things, or there are three, but the two of the biggest things were the seven-inning doubleheaders and the starting extra innings off with a runner on second base. And I actually ended up liking both of those things, and particularly the seven-inning doubleheaders I talked about on this show, but I think that's a home run for, you know, pardon the pun. Um, I think that was great. You know, the seven-inning doubleheaders really worked for me. It it didn't, it, granted, to be fair, it took me a while to remember as I was watching the games that it was only seven innings and I'd be in the seventh inning and be like, you know, wait, why are they stopping? Oh, yeah, of course, it's only seven innings. You kind of, you have to retrain your brain a little bit with that. But I thought on the whole, the seven inning double hours were pretty great. You know, it really felt shorter. It felt um, more condensed in a good way. You know, it didn't drag. It felt like quick and and kind of to the point I, I liked it i i really enjoyed the 70 double headers i thought it was a you know if they decided to keep that change i would be okay with it i wouldn't want all baseball games to be seven innings but for a double header i think you know, it made sense uh the runner on second base in extra innings 
it works. Like, I didn't like it coming into the year. I thought it was Bush League. I thought it was, you know, a sham or, you know, kind of just so far away from what baseball is that, uh, that I wasn't a fan of it. And I enjoyed it. You know, it added a, a layer of strategy, a layer of excitement to extra innings. It really did. And I still don't understand why every single team doesn't bunt every single time with that first bat to move the runner over. I mean, that just seems like such a winning strategy. You know, it really does. Uh, but, you know, we didn't see it as often as I thought, though Girardi did do a good job with it. But it did add some some intrigue, some excitement, some strategy to the game. You know, the runner on second base and extra innings was fun. Again, I'm I'm not saying I was... It was perfect for me. I definitely, you know, it still feels a little weird, a little Mickey Mouse in a way, but ultimately the, the results were pretty good. You know, it uh, it felt like it added some excitement, you know, an extra level of excitement. You know, you're kind of just, you start extra innings off and it's like, boom, let's go. Right away, you're into it. This is this is intense. This is serious. Let's go. And, um, and again, the strategy part of it is noticeable. You know, it was interesting to see how teams went about it, to see, which teams bunted, which teams decided to swing away, how they went about it. Do you try and steal third? Do you get aggressive? I didn't understand why more teams on the pitching side of things didn't walk the first batter they face immediately and put runners on first and second. Why not? Like, set up a double play. Give yourself a chance there. I thought that was, you know, allowing someone to bunt. I would have just, you know, started out and tried to set it up. And now, great, you could always bunt and have second and third. But I don't know. I felt... uh you know, it's a little riskier in that case. So I thought I was surprised more teams didn't do that. But on the whole, I thought it added a nice little layer of intrigue, a nice little layer of fun to, to baseball. So I support that. Now, the one change that I came into the season saying, you know what, F- not in general, but for this year, this weird variance-laden year, which, look, we saw the Miami Marlins – uh, you know, young teams like the White Sox and Padres taking a leap, you know, that type of stuff. We saw some weird stuff happen. Um, but 16 playoff teams is the dumbest, most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in baseball. I was so wrong. Not even for one year is it good. I'm fine with it for this year, but it needs to go away immediately. It totally ruins the integrity of the sport. I mean, having more than half the league make the playoffs is just foolish. It's nonsense. It feels like nonsense. Again, watch near the fact, and no offense to our beloved Phillies who we love, but the idea that this Phillies team with this bullpen finishing four games under 500 or whatever, but the idea that if they had won one of their one more of their last eight games than they did, if they had just won two of their last eight games, they are a playoff team? Really? I mean, they did not deserve to make the playoffs. Let's be real. It would have been fun. Don't get me wrong. It would have been fun to watch playoff baseball. I've enjoyed watching the playoffs, regardless of the level of competition right now. But what a joke. I mean, what a joke. Let's be real about this. What a joke. I mean, come on. The Phillies, is you were nowhere close to a playoff team. They weren't even in a playoff hemisphere. And yet they were a game out of making the playoffs. It it really did. Um, it took a lot of, of the the juice of the season away from me. You know, it, it really it um it made it just seem like that. That's where the Mickey Mouse comes in. You know, it, it's Mickey Mouse for the first time in baseball history. We had sub five hundred teams make the playoffs this year. Like that's dumb. That's dumb. 
Right. You shouldn't make the playoffs if you're under 500. We know that. In any sport, that should be real. I hate it in football. I get it. It's fine. But like when you see a 7-9 and team make it or whatever, it's stupid. It feels stupid. It feels cheap. It feels like it tears away at the integrity of the game. And in baseball, that's such a the beautiful thing about baseball is that it has the, the smallest, most um, exclusive playoffs there are. Ten teams out of 30. I mean, that's that's a real exclusive club. 30% of the league gets in. Yep, that's good. Not 60%. 60% of the league making the playoffs. I mean, what's the point? It's so stupid. I can't. I can't get past how much I hate it. I can't get past how much I hate it. I think it is a, a travesty. It also ruined September. I mean, everything was all set. It, look, it made for a fun thing for the wild card thing, you know, watching all these, you know, horrible teams like the Giants and the Phillies and the Brewers and whatnot fight for that spot. Like, it was fun in the sense of, yes, there was competition for that. But, like, the divisions were locked up with weeks to go. I mean, the Dodgers, it was like, all right, well, we're done. And they still won 43 games, but there was just no excitement, no intrigue to it. There was no no division races, no, you know, that mattered because the teams that were fighting for the division, if they weren't going to win the division, they were like a lock to get in, like the AL Central where those three teams were battling, but they were all getting in for like a month. Everyone knew they were getting in. So I really, really, really strongly dislike the expanded playoffs far more than I thought I would. Uh, I, it really sucked a lot of the energy and excitement out of the season. It sucked a lot of the um, integrity out of it in my mind. It really made it feel even more of a sham than it already was. So totally fully out on expanded playoffs. If you want to expand to 12, all right, I'll suck it up. I'll deal with it. Anything more is 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 really a joke. It really is. It really is. So all out on that. But I thought the other changes this year were fun. I thought it worked. And look, just watching baseball this year was weird. It was going to be a weird year that we're always going to remember. As I said prior to the season and still believe there is an asterisk attached to the season. It's just what it is. It is the weird asterisk year of 2020. Whoever wins the quote-unquote World Series this year is not winning a World Series. They're winning a the baseball championship of 2020. That's the way I look at it at least. Obviously, it'll be called the World Series and all that good stuff. But for me... Uh, I look at it as, uh, you know, this weird thing, this weird year that we had uh, that was different. And uh, um, But look, also incredibly memorable, right? We're going to remember this year. We are going to remember everything. We're going to remember the, the empty stadiums. We're going to remember the cardboard cutouts in the seats. We're going to remember what it was like to watch this game in this unique, weird year with not a single fan in the stands. Like, it's been a... Um, it's been a pretty wild ride, you know, and again, also this condensed year with, and that's the thing too, with teams like the Phillies, the Cardinals, whatever, like, you know, with them missing a week of the season, two weeks of the season, the Marlins, those teams, like they really had to play. They had to push, man. I mean, a ton of doubleheaders, a lot of games over the last month of the season. Um, it was a lot. It was intense. It was an intense season, even though it wasn't in my mind, a, a great season across the board. It definitely was intense um, from that perspective that it was a lot of baseball in a short period of time. And the Phillies found a way to pack as much uh, misery into 60 games as they could, right? As many painful, horrific, terrible losses in as many games again. So ultimately, um, I, I just, I think my main 
point is that while I don't look at this year as a, a baseball purist type of, you know, this mattered or, you know, we'll remember this with, with in the history books type of year, but I, I do, I will always remember this year. I remember the weirdness of it. I remember how unique it was and all that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy we got baseball. Now, sadly, the Phillies did not give us the baseball we wanted. And let's start to look ahead now as we, you know, finish out the last Phillies today of the year. And just quickly, we've talked a lot about it. There, there's nothing else too much to say, but but just kind of looking at where this team is sitting heading into the offseason again. Obviously, we still wait the Matt Klentak decision from John Middleton. It is, again, by far without question, the single most important decision that will be made this offseason by this team. It will steer the franchise in a particular direction, whatever that direction is, for the future. And uh, we'll see what Middleton does. I've made it pretty clear where I stand, so we'll see what happens. That is going to be the biggest thing we watch. Then, of course, as we've talked about a lot, too, I think the JT Romuto situation decision is the, the next biggest. What happens? Do they decide to match whatever he gets? Will he just get this absurd deal in the offseason? And look, with the Romuto thing in general on a basic level, it is also an interesting view, among others, DD, every free agent, into this weird offseason, too, where, you know, owners are talking about all the money they lost. We've talked about, you know, the layoffs and furloughs that have had to happen across baseball, the, um, you know, question marks when it comes to spending money. It's going to be interesting to see if that extends to the free agent class. You know, the Mookie Betts contract, everyone kind of was like, wow, well, you still got a ton of money. He did, but... There was a fair amount of it deferred, which, you know, did show at least some sort of um, difference from what he would have expected to get prior probably to the pandemic. So I do think we'll feel it. I think owners will be a little more gun-shy. I think they will be a little more tight when it comes to these types of decisions. And and the Ramuto one's going to be a fascinating one, especially, look, he's a catcher. He's 30. Um, it's going to be a fascinating fascinating free agent watch, particularly with JT Romito, obviously here, but just in a macro sense too, for baseball, where baseball is, what it means, what will people get moving forward? It's going to be a really fascinating, fascinating off season. Um, and I think for the Phillies, obviously I think Romito clearly the biggest, biggest move from a roster perspective that needs to be figured out. Obviously DD, do you bring him back? If not, how do you replace him at shortstop? Rebuilding the bullpen is going to be a massive thing this offseason. Um, replacing Jake Arrieta in the starting rotation. How healthy is Reese Hoskins? Will he be ready to start the season? Again, replacing some big names on this team. Um, you know, And if you don't get Romuto, does that mean you're going to go after a George Springer? Or do you go after Trevor Bauer as a starting pitcher to... Look, you, you win with pitching in, in October. We know that. I mean, a rotation of Bauer, Nola, and Wheeler. I mean, all of a sudden, you're 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 somewhat elite in an area, especially if Spencer Howard turns into something and Zach Eflin is a 4-5 type guy. I mean, whoa, buddy. Uh, you know, I think there is actually really a case to be made that going out and trying to get Trevor Bauer makes more sense than getting JT Romuto. I would rather sign Romuto because... I think his importance across the board is is hard to um, understate when you talk about what he means to the clubhouse, what he means Bryce Harper, you know, obviously is showing that, what he means to um, the staff, uh, to calling a game, to kind of steering the team forward. I think Ramuda's a massive part. But look, I also, uh, you know, again, we just talked about it, but I'm a 
Longtime baseball guy, I know the the risks of signing a catcher like that to a long-term deal at that age. Again, you know, you think about catchers in baseball and how they age. I mean, Yadier Molina is really the only one you can think of who's aged really well into his mid to late 30s. Like, no one else. It's a hard thing. I mean, I'm talking recently. Um, so it's a, it's a really interesting situation because he's going to want a lot of money, and depending on what's out there, he's probably going to get a lot of money. But the question is, is it worth it? And how many years do you give him? And what type of... You know, average value are you giving him per year? It's a really fascinating one. There is a case to be made, and I think Bauer is awesome. I mean, that dude's nasty um, and has been really good for a while now. So, you know, I had a rough year last year after getting traded, but otherwise he's been great for two and a half, three years. Um, an interesting one. And, you know, I do think that if you rebuilt the Phillies as a three, you know, maybe none of them ace-ace-ace, though Bauer's pretty close, but – you know, three 1B type, 2A, 1B type pitchers at the top of your staff. I mean, that's that'll play. That'll play. And then, you know, if you fill in the other holes, again, as we've talked about, they're going to have to be willing to spend up to really, if they want to contend now, if they want to be a, a true contender, which you would think with Bryce Harper here. That was the whole reason he came here. I want to win. Uh, you know, they promised me we'd win. They promised me we'd try to win. So you're going to have to do that um, if you want to compete. They're going to have to make moves. And look, you know, there's some interesting names out there to rebuild this team, especially if it's a depressed market. Now, obviously, JT, that that whole situation kind of dictates what you can spend, what you're willing to do in other spots. But like we said, Trevor Bauer, that's a if they don't re-sign Romuto, or even if they do, which I doubt they will be willing to, you know, go all in. But you are getting some money off the books with the Arietta contract and some other stuff. Um, but there's some, you know, a lot of other bottom of the roster type names. Not even Boston, but like, you know, the the. Um, well, DJ LeMay will probably resign in New York, and he'll get a big deal, but he's a great player out there. Tommy LaStella, a uh, nice ball player. Marcus Semien, if you decide to move on from Didi. But again, Marcus Semien will probably make just as much as Didi, if not more, on the market. So, you know, one of those two guys you're going to have to pay for. Anderson Simmons, if you want to go the defensive route, still a great player as well. Um, but there are some names out there. There's some guys that are, that are interesting. George Springer, I mentioned before, he'll get paid, but... Obviously, George Springer, a great player, who's also shown that he can do it in the playoffs, has amazing numbers in the playoffs. Um, so, and then, of course, you know, like the bullpen, rebuilding the bullpen is going to be massive. Um, the Bauer thing, again, is really interesting to me because there aren't that many good uh, free agent pitchers this year. Um, you know, Charlie Morton has a club option. I'm sure they'll pick up. James Paxton, Paxton's a really nice pitcher. Uh, Robbie Ray. There are some guys, like some interesting guys, but in terms of, like, Elite, elite guys. Bauer is definitely the most elite. And then again, like the bullpen, you're going to have to rebuild the entire bullpen. And there are a lot of interesting names out there. Alex Colomb uh, is out there. Saw him pitching in the playoffs yesterday. Liam Hendricks closing out for the A's yesterday. Uh, you know, I would go after that guy in a second, their closer. He's phenomenal. He is nasty. Um, Jeremy Jeffress closing for the Cubs right now as a free agent. Um, Brandon Kinsler, though the Marlins have a club option on him. I'm sure they'll pick that up. Um, but the point is, there's some names. Uh, Trevor Rosenthal's coming off a great year. Joachim Sorio is 1,000 years old, but again, coming off a great year in Oakland. Kirby Yates, a stud, stud, stud closer last year, the best closer in baseball last year. So there's some names. It, they just have to be willing to pay for them. You know, that's what it's going to come down to. They have to be willing to go out and, and spend because we know that the roster at the major league level isn't good enough now, and we know that there is not a bunch of help coming from the minor leagues. So... Um, and too many holes. But again, if you want to compete with Bryce Harper, if you're going to re-sign JT, if you're going to make these types of moves, you've got Aaron Nola heading into his prime. you got Wheeler in his prime. Like, 
you know, you don't want to waste those guys. So you got to be willing to go in on this. And it's going to be a fascinating offseason to see how they do it, if they do, what Middleton's willing to do. Again, the Matt Klintak situation, where does that go? It is going to be a wild, fascinating, interesting, and, and again, potentially franchise-altering in some ways offseason. Um, so it's going to be fun to track. Obviously, we'll be back in March. We'll, we'll talk all about what they did, how they did it, what it means for the season, and hopefully we'll have, we'll have high hopes heading into next season. And again, it is doable. They just have to be able to, willing to spend some money because if they're willing to spend some money like – they can fill in the holes. Obviously, rebuilding the bullpen is a major task, but they can fill in some holes. There are guys out there, and um, you know, as we know, if if they bring Romito back, the offense, the lineup, Didi, you know, back, like again, you have to spend money. But if you bring these guys back, you've got a you've got a real deal lineup that you can win with. And if you add to that staff, you've got a staff that is good enough. It's just making that bullpen good enough, and then all of a sudden you can compete. Maybe you're not the favorite, but you're in the discussion. And um, you know, I think that's where we all want the Phillies to be. I'm sure John Middleton wants them to be there. So hopefully we, we see it happen. Um, either way, uh, I will be back on Phillies today in March. We'll be back to see what they did and talk about it. If you're listening to this right now, if you're still here, you're the real ones. I mean, you are the real, true, blue Phillies fans. And uh, uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you, seriously, from the bottom of my heart that you uh, – are actually listening to this, that you're still digging this, this deep into the season after, like I talked about, months with no games and um, just listening to me talk to myself about the Phillies, the team I love so much, the game I love so much. Um, it means everything to me. Uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. you. If you're hearing this right now, you specifically, um, for you know not making me talk to myself in vain, I guess, for making it worthwhile. Um, and for loving the Phillies as much as I do. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for uh, coming along this ride with me, and I look forward to doing it again next year with you. So uh, until then, again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and thank you for listening to the final 2020 edition of Phillies Today right here on the Phillies 24-7 Network. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.